past impeachment, get past all these things. Big turnout in Tulsa. Million people got tickets. 100,000 people actually expected less than 6,200 actually in the arena with the president. Behind the scenes, the president was furious. Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump are livid with Brad Parscale. By the way, Brad Parscale got on social media and said, oh, it was protesters blocking everyone. Not even the people who were there to see the president saw the protesters. There were some protesters, to be sure, but not enough to block. And I'm sorry if the protesters were so numerous that they could block people from getting into the arena. That would actually be a big story, and it's not. Uh, That was damage control on Brad Parscale's part. Uh, This did not turn out the way the president wanted, and it did not turn out that way because people lied to the president and told him he was getting something that he was not actually getting. And that those same people told the press The president bragged to the press because those people lied to him. Someone must be held accountable for the disaster in Tulsa. Here's ABC's Jonathan Carl. The campaign trail, coronavirus, and calls for racial equality all converged last night in Tulsa. The president was hoping to reboot his campaign, but while the hype was huge, he claimed a million people asked for tickets, the crowd was modest. Lots of empty seats, a rarity for a Trump rally. And while there were some tense moments in Tulsa, protests remained largely peaceful. In a speech that lasted nearly two hours, the president slammed Joe Biden, defended his handling of coronavirus, saying he requested to slow down the testing to avoid finding more cases. And he spoke at length about his slow walk down a ramp at West Point. What the president did not do is mention Juneteenth, the Tulsa race massacre of 1921, or George Floyd amid a national outcry for change. Okay, quibble with him all you want, but but the point is the president expected a million people. He was told a million people were going to be. His staff told him this. He didn't make up the number out of thin air. This is what the president's own staff was bragging about to the media, and it didn't show up. Someone needs to be fired. Here's Chris Wallace interviewing Mercedes Schlapp, whose husband, Matt Schlapp, runs the American Conservative Union. She's an advisor to the president. Mercedes, if I Mercedes, if I can, yes. the fact is the president talks about the attendance at his events. As we all know, it, he made a big issue of the attendance at his inauguration. He talks about how he can fill an, uh, an arena and that Joe Biden can't. He didn't fill an arena last night, and you well, guys I mean, were so Joe far Biden... off. And wait, let me, uh, if I may finish, and you guys were so far off that you had planned an outdoor rally, and there wasn't an overflow crowd. And I, watching the coverage and talking to Mark Meredith on the ground today, protesters did not stop people from coming to that rally. The fact is, oh, absolutely, they people did. Didn't show I'm up. telling you, there were people. I'm, I'm telling you, there were people and families that didn't want to, br- couldn't bring their children because of concerns of the protesters. But let me make this clear. I mean, Joe Biden has an event which, with empty folded chairs and painted circles on the floor. I'd love to see a Joe Biden rally. Let's bring it on because there is no comparison. The phenomenon of the rally came because of President Trump and people came out, those people that knew that wanted to be there, physically present with the president, uh, was they joined us and they are family-oriented individuals who wanted to come out and be with us. But here we go. I mean, we're, we're, we're showing we're pictures here. Because we're now in a virtual time, we're going Mercedes, into about we're showing, over 5.3 Mercedes, please don't filibuster. Mercedes, please don't filibuster. We're showing pictures here, and it shows big, empty areas. It, uh, frankly, it makes you guys look silly when you deny the reality of what happened. And as 
as far as you know, the social We're not distancing denying the reality of what, floor. I don't know what you're saying. That are you? We have. I'm telling you, there are empty seats there. Joe Biden there were at least a third, if not a half, of the rally was empty. Uh, the arena was empty. I'm going to say this again. I mean, you can you can you can't deny it. It's just not a bad, not a good look. And here's the thing: this is not about the president of the United States. This is not about him. This is about his campaign team. Does is he surrounded with people who want to win? They clearly lied to the president of the United States. Someone on his campaign team lied, got the rest of them believing a lie, and now the president is embarrassed. And he should be embarrassed. I mean, he should be embarrassed for his campaign. And here again, I, and I, I'm, I'm seeing this from people. I'm already getting emails from some of you who are listening. Well, what about the million progressives who got the tickets? Maybe people thought they couldn't get in or maybe too many people would show up. Yes, that is exactly the freaking point. If the campaign hyped a million progressives got all of this, and, and or the campaign was hyping a million people, the, you're supposed to have data analytics. You can tell it's progressives. All you got to do is take their contact information. I mean, that's the whole point of asking people to get tickets in advance. It's not to actually get them tickets into the room. It's to get their data. You want their cell phones. You want their email addresses. You want their background information. You want to put them into a composite picture of potential Trump voters. And then you do data analytics on them and see if they actually are Trump voters so you're not wasting your time with them. They should have been able to see it very easily. I'm not an expert on it, and I know how to do it. And then when you see it's progressives, you don't start hyping, hey, a million people are coming. Because then some people are going to say, well, I don't really want to be with a million people at the Trump rally. There's a virus. Or if people stayed home because there is a virus, well, you don't hype the number either. They hyped a number that wasn't true and they should have known it was true. And the secondary point, the other significant point here is they lied to their boss the president of the United States, someone at the Trump campaign lied to the president of the United States about the crowd size he could expect. And that person should be fired. It embarrassed the president. He was not happy. Uh, it, it, it gave him a black eye uh, he wanted to reboot the campaign. And you know what the reboot message of the campaign is now? Trump 2020, nobody shows up. It's not the message you want when you're running for re-election and you're embattled with a virus and everything else that's going on out there. It's ridiculous that if people do not lose their jobs on the Trump campaign because of this, it will be a sure sign that the president of the United States is not really interested in running for re-election. Because if you're letting your campaign staff lie to you about crowd size and screw it all up, what else are they going to screw up knowing they're not going to be held accountable for? That's just the reality, folks. I, I I don't make the rules here. I'm just telling you how it works. I did run campaigns for a living. You do not lie to your, your boss, the candidate, and, and lie about crowd size, knowing he's going to go out and tell people what you told him about the crowd size. Or did the president make it up himself? That that's That's even worse. And I don't actually think that happened because you actually had the crowd... You actually had the campaign going out there, releasing data, saying, oh, we've got all these... This number of people have gotten tickets. And they didn't. That's bad. Now, I'm going to go on and take a timeout. And when we come back, what did the president actually say at the rally? I've got clips. If you missed the rally, he actually had some good lines. You know, Jonathan Carl is right. The president didn't talk about George Floyd. He didn't talk about some of this other stuff. But he did make clear messages for black voters of why they should vote for him. Uh, and maybe that fell on deaf ears in the media. 
I've got that audio and way more from the rally when we come back. I really do like his opinion on things. Eric Erickson, the information you need and the truth you demand. He tells it like it is. Live every weekday. All right. The phone number is uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The Senate, the state Senate in Georgia has added uh, law enforcement and first responders to the hate crimes legislation. The Democrats call it a poison pill. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Right now, I want to play some of these sounds from the Trump rally, the president having much to say. We will defend privacy, free thought, free speech, religious liberty, and the right to keep and bear arms. And when you see those lunatics all over the streets, it's damn nice to have arms. Damn nice. Interesting how all of a sudden people understand it, right? You couldn't sell it. Now people understand it. The right to keep and bear arms will protect your Second Amendment. Protect your Second Amendment. Now, I got to tell you, just as a quick aside here, uh, any of you who regularly listen to the show uh, know that I love uh, Barrow Automotive in Butler, Georgia. Uh, Barrow Automotive, actually the Butler Barrow Gun Store. You go into the, the Napa store, Ace Hardware store in Butler, uh, Barrow. And in the back of it is the most incredible gun store you will ever encounter in your life. And we actually took a friend of ours down there on Saturday. And I have been there regularly, and I have never seen that number of people in there. We were the only people, by the way, with a mask on. Uh, there were people leaving when we came in with, with masks. Um, there, there's actually a spike in the cases uh, down in Taylor County, which, which concerned me a little bit being in a store with that many. I mean, there were people piled on top of each other, and they're buying guns. And a lot of the employees weren't even wearing masks. And, and you know, listen, this isn't, this isn't me naming state one. And it, it's the viruses on the rise. Please do be careful out there. Uh, we wore masks. I'm glad we did, given the crowd in there. But the crowd... There were so many people in there, and, and I mentioned it offhandedly to, to one of the people who worked there, and they said it has been like that, nonstop people uh, every day of the week that they're open. They have had just large crowds, and they're not alone. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine at a gun store up in Atlanta who said that they're just seeing crowds, that, that ammunition is harder and harder to find, uh, that they are getting sold out of guns regularly. There's a gun store here. Um Eagle Gun Range. So if you're in middle Georgia and you need a great gun range, Eagle Gun Range in Macon, Georgia, wonderful. We actually haven't been in a while. And the reason we haven't been in a while is because, um, well, we sleep in on a Saturday and you go over there late and you can't get lame. Super people in a great gun collection at Eagle. Uh, if, if you need a great gun, this is not an ad for Eagle, but it is kind of because I just love them. They're wonderful people. Uh, my wife actually got gun lessons there and uh, they're amazing. But uh, even though they've been selling through guns like crazy. Uh, and, and it's just, it, it's amazing the number of gun stores out there that, and with all the riots and stuff these days, you can't really blame them with the police now not responding to calls in the Atlanta area over the weekend, police were not responding to phone, uh, responding to calls in some places in New York city, in the same way, the police are not responding to phone calls. You had that in, um, oh, what is it? The, the Chaz, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone had somebody shot this weekend and, and they didn't, the police didn't come take care of the body and they're all outraged. The, the police and fire department, what you, you didn't want them. You said they were racist and now you're surprised when they don't show up. 
Hypocrisy knows no bounds. Democrats are stoking division in order to distract from their decades of failure on schools, jobs, housing, justice, and crime. In major city public schools run by Democrats, over two-thirds of students are falling behind in reading and math, and I think the numbers are worse than that. But Democrats would rather deny these children the future they deserve than allow them to attend the charter, public, private, religious, or independent schools of their choice. Pro-choice. Pro-choice. Pro-choice for schools. It's very popular, but some people it's like a disaster because what it does to certain unions uh, that have a lot of power over the Democrats, even though they know it's wrong. Republicans believe access to education is a civil right. Uh, and yep, crowd audio fades there. That's all right. Here's a little more from the president in his rally. If Joe Biden were to become president, an emboldened left will launch a full-scale assault on American life. You know that. They'll expel anyone who disagrees with them. Look what happens when you disagree. You use a term that's perfect and they're not happy with it. They call you a racist. They call you a horrible person. They want to crush religious liberty. They don't want religion. Silence religious believers. Indoctrinate your children with hateful and vicious lies about our country. Subsidize late-term abortion and after-birth execution. <laughs> you know, he's not wrong there. He's not wrong. I, I mean, look at the people who want to take the Teddy Roosevelt monument down. I put this on Twitter this weekend that, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of this president. I like a lot of the policies from his administration. I feel like we got those policies but for him, uh, in spite of him. Uh, but if, if, the, if Joe Biden were to become president, the people who are tearing down the statues would have power in the weekend at Bernie style administration of, of Joe Biden. I mean, the, the, the cadaver president, they would just tilt his head forward. Oh, he nodded approval. This is not something you want. It, it kind of makes you have to vote for Donald Trump, whether you really want to or not, because the other side's just intolerable. Welcome back. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. A little more from the Trump rally uh, in Tulsa. Having dealt with the crowd size, let's deal with what the president actually said. The chaos you're seeing in our Democratic-run cities, these are all run by the Democrats, is what will happen in every city and community in America and much, much worse if we don't keep them out. We have to do this. We have to go to the polls on November 3rd, and the rest, you know what to do. You know what to do. And a little more. When I took... Oh, where did that go? ...decisive action to ban travel from China and protect Americans from the virus, and as I said, Joe Biden opposed my decision and called it hysteria, xenophobia. He doesn't know what the word means, xenophobia, and fear-mongering. And then he apologized a month later. He said he was wrong, but he didn't say it. And they didn't cover it. They didn't cover it. On one of the single most important policy decisions of our lifetime, 
Joe Biden sided with China over America. That's closing the border. He thought it was a terrible thing. Remember, this was all this was in January. That's early, real early. The end of January. He thought it was a terrible thing when we closed the border to many people that were badly infected with COVID. I, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, the president can use this. He can use that against Joe Biden. Uh, and, and towards the end, he really was holding his attack on Joe Biden. And the media wanted to be dismissive of it. But I think there's stuff that works here. Listen to this. The choice in 220 is very simple. Do you want to bow before the left-wing mob? Or do you want to stand up tall and proud as Americans? And then this. Virtually every policy that has hurt black Americans for half a century, Joe Biden has supported or enacted. I've done more for the black community in four years than Joe Biden has done in 47 years. You know, oh, how do I word this? The, the president has actually done a great deal for black Americans. And I, I genuinely do believe that there is an angle that the president can pursue on school choice. And, and you heard some of those clips from his speech earlier that uh, the Democrats, uh, the only choice Democrats want to give anyone is whether or not they can kill their children. Uh, but otherwise, the Democrats demand uh, by government fiat what you do with your life, including where you go to school. I think there is a real opportunity for the president and the Republicans to make a case to black Americans and others that school choice is the civil rights issue of the day. And while there are uh, partisan interests aligned in the Democratic Party against it, including partisan interests in black America like the NAACP and others that are against it, uh, you tell a black mom uh, that you want to allow her to send her child to the best school possible and that you will make it happen for her, she's going to vote for you. Because black mothers in particular know that if their child can get a better education, uh, they're going to do well in life. That's why, for example, here in Georgia where I am, uh, it was you had overwhelmingly powerful interests inside the Democratic Party and in black leadership in the state, including in the pulpits of black churches, pastors denouncing a plan by then-Governor Nathan Deal to allow for expanded charter schools in the state of Georgia. The governor had passed through the legislature a charter school proposal that was then struck down by the Georgia Supreme Court, and he came back with a constitutional amendment while the Republicans had a supermajority in the legislature that allowed the government to create charter schools at the state level in areas where schools were failing. And uh, the NAACP came out against it. Prominent black ministers in Atlanta came out against it. The Democratic Party came out against it. They all campaigned against it. They ran ads against it. And black women joined with white Republicans and overwhelmingly passed this charter school reform. You tell black moms that your kid is going to be able to get a good education if you'll vote for me. That's a winning issue. That is a winning issue. School choice is the civil rights issue of this day and age. The number of people who are forced to send their kids to failing public schools. Now, let me explain how this works in pretty much every state, particularly here in Georgia. You pay dollars, you pay tax dollars to the state and to the local government. And your local government in the form of property taxes funds your local school system. But part of the money you pay in income tax and sales tax to the state 
also pays for your local school system. And when your child goes to local public school X, the government, the state government sends money to that local school for your child. So school X gets a certain percentage of money based on your child going. Now, if your child goes from public school X to public school Y, then the state dollars follow your child to public school Y. Uh, school X no longer gets the money. Now school Y does, as long as they're public schools. But the moment your child goes from public school Y to private school Z, the state money stops going. The money's still there. It just won't go to a private school. So one of the provisions that Republicans in Georgia have pushed that, by the way, senior Republicans in the state have often killed, including this year, is to allow that state money to follow your child to the private school you want to send your kid to. So you may get a discounted tuition rate or, you know, there are also scholarship opportunity scholarship funds. A lot of states have them. Georgia, for example, has an opportunity scholarship fund. Now, what's what is this? Well, Let's say your business owes uh, $5,000 to the state or you yourself owe $5,000 to the state of Georgia. You can write that $5,000 check instead to an opportunity scholarship fund. And you don't pay the $5,000 tax bill to the state. You've given it to the opportunity scholarship fund. And then a parent can use that money to send their child to a private school of their choice. And we should be encouraging that. We should be encouraging people sending money to opportunity scholarship funds so that poorer families can send their kids. Now, the reality, the practical reality is that sometimes it doesn't work out. Public schools have buses. A lot of private schools do not. So you're responsible for not only providing your child's lunch, but also, and not in all cases, by the way, some private schools do a subsidized lunch program. But uh, you got to get your child there. There's not a bus. You got to find a way to get your child there. I I, I really do think, in, in all honesty and all sincerity, there are a number of church schools out there, and I think that church schools should probably do a better job of building a diversity of believers within the church school by pursuing these avenues, by opening themselves, by making themselves available to people of faith Uh, who are poor uh, in minority communities who cannot otherwise go, who are stuck in public schools. Uh, Education is a civil rights issue, and it is an issue on which Republicans outperform Democrats hands down time and time again because Democrats are so beholden to teachers' unions and teacher organizations, even in states like Georgia, for example, where there isn't a robust teachers' union. Democrats are still beholden to, to those groups, and they cannot improve the situation. How much more money? You know, it's very funny. We keep saying you need to defund. Well, we don't. Uh, The left does. We need to defund police departments and give that money to schools. Schools are going to get, have you seen the amount of money poured into schools? The problem with schools is not that they don't have enough money. It's that they have too much bureaucracy. They want to take the money from the police and give it to the schools. That's not going to improve the situation. The schools already have that money. You've got the deputy undersecretary, junior assistant superintendent in charge of photocopiers. Meanwhile, you've got the kids in the crumbling home, and they go to the school. And and here's the thing that bugs me on this, not to get on a soapbox here. But our our, our Declaration of Independence says all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable human rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All men are created equal. Here's the problem. 
I, as a conservative, look at this and say we are created equal. Out of the gate, we start at the same point. The left looks at it and says, out of the gate, we don't start at equal points, and we're going to ensure equal outcome. I think we're not going to ensure equal outcome. Everyone is going to have a different outcome, but the starting place should be the same. But it's really hard for me as a conservative to actually say all of us start at the same place when some kids are forced to go to failing schools. You can't get the education. You're not going to learn to read well or write well or, or, or do math well. And listen, this isn't just for the poor kids from the broken home who come to school hungry and they don't have anyone to help them with homework or anything like that. I say this is someone who actually went to a, a public school, graduated, uh, grew up overseas, started kindergarten in Louisiana in a public school, finished 10th, 11th, 12th grade in a public school in Louisiana, and I myself had my share of horrible teachers. I had had a very good education overseas when my dad took a job overseas in, in Dubai. We went to a wonderful school, had wonderful teachers, and came home and largely had to teach myself. And not every kid is capable of doing that. I have seen the brokenness of public schools. I actually had a, a teacher uh, when I was in 10th grade. Um, she's a horrible teacher. And she taught uh, free markets and civics. And I don't know that she would have known a free market if it had bitten her on the butt. She had no idea. Her class was a disaster. It was a mess. She had no idea what she was talking about. Um, a horrible teacher. Uh, trying to teach civics and free enterprise. It's a wonder that that anyone actually knew what the separation of powers were when they got out of the class, and I'm, I'm sure most of them didn't. We got to do something about the public schools. The president is right. There should be a choice in public schools. The choice should not be about whether or not to kill your kid. The choice should be about where you send your child to school to get the best education for them, and not everyone will be able to send all their children to a private school, but maybe some people will, and improve the lives of those kids. And when you reduce the capacity then in some of the public schools, so the teachers there have smaller classes and can spend more time with the kids who actually need the help. But the amount of people who graduate from, from high school who do not read at the level they should or do math at the level they should, it puts them behind in life and they never catch up. That is the great unequalizer in this country right now. And the fact that you have a Democratic Party and a teacher's union that are aligned against getting kids a better education and their excuses, well, we just need more money. We're giving you unlimited sums of money and you're still screwing it up. And let's be real honest here. Part of the problem is you got a bunch of broken homes. Dads are in jail. Mom's working three jobs. You've got the, the, the older kids helping the younger kids. They're all exhausted and hungry when they get to school. And you're telling public school teachers, well, we're going to judge you based on whether or not the hungry kid who's been up all night taking care of his younger brother is able to pass a standardized test. And if you can't do it, well, you're punished, not the kid. Not that the kid should be punished, but neither should the teacher. This is the chief frustration I hear from my friends who are public school teachers, that they are judged based on whether someone passes a standardized test. And oftentimes those kids aren't capable of passing the standardized test because they're not proficient and it has nothing to do with the teachers or it's not that teacher's fault. It's a prior teacher's fault or it's not that teacher's fault. It's the home life of the kid where the schools are just trying to be babysitters. The president has an angle of attack here against Joe Biden if he wants to use it. The president can use this issue against him, and he raised that uh, some in his speech. He talked about what he's done for black families. He's talked about the, the black unemployment rate prior to the virus uh, at, at a record low. The, the number of black people in this country getting jobs at an all-time high under this administration until the virus wrecked the economy. He's got avenues to pursue if he chooses to pursue those things. Whether he has the discipline to do it or not is a whole other ball of wax. But he's got it if he wants to use it. If. That's a big if.
He wants to go that way. Honest news and conservative views. Never separated from the truth. It's the Eric Erickson Show. The full number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, I got to give it to Chris Wallace yesterday on Fox News Sunday uh, with, uh, I think it was Simone Sanders from the Biden team. Perhaps more important, he has not held a news conference, either in person or online, for 80 days, almost three months. Why not? Well, Chris, uh, to be clear, Vice President Biden takes uh, does interviews, takes questions from the press regularly. And yes, in March, we were we have adjusted to this new normal like most people in America. We have been campaigning virtually, but just because we are campaigning virtually does not mean we are not meeting uh, actual voters across the country. Vice President Biden has campaigned in Michigan and Florida. Uh, Dr. Biden has campaigned in uh, Colorado and uh, Texas. So the reality is what we have been doing is following CDC guidelines, Chris. What we have been doing is But why hasn't he held a news conference for 80... But why hasn't he held a news conference for 80 days? Chris, as many of you, uh, many of y'all in the the national press and in the Bellway press are well aware, we take pride in prioritizing uh, local media. And so the vice president is doing local media interviews. He's doing national uh, media interviews, and he is taking questions from reporters. I know... Biden's not really doing anything. You know, I do have to say something. So around the country right now, the Democratic strategy appears to be uh, duck your head, stay in your basement, and do nothing. Now, that should tell you something about what the polling shows out there. Uh, In fact, there are swing voters out there uh, in Pennsylvania. There's been a huge focus group in Pennsylvania. And swing voters, who the people who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump, are swinging rapidly towards Biden. And the issue is stability, that uh, they don't like Biden, but they want what they feel like less disruption. And they feel like Biden will make the country a little more stable. And that's a problem for the president. It is a problem for Republicans when your average voter out there right now thinks, you know, I, I gotta I gotta go for the other side just to get some calm in my life. This is too disruptive. Now the the downside here is that uh, the Democrats then decide that uh, to make things to to amp things up. Of course that that plays into the Republicans' hands, where you point out, no, no, it's not us, it's them. But the fact that the Democratic data out there and the polling data shows, as long as the Democrats just avoid talking to the press and being seen, they'll win. And that's the Biden strategy, by the way. Uh, the Biden campaign strategy at this point, it is very, very clear. The Biden campaign strategy at this point is just don't go out there and make headlines. And as long as you stay home and you're quiet, you're going to win. Now, I want to play this Nate Silver audio. Uh, there, there are some, some audio artifacts in this from how he conducted his interview. It, it was over the Internet uh, that, that, that are somewhat problematic, but you need to hear this. Joe Biden leads by around nine points in our national polling average, and that lead has been growing. Of course, national polls don't really matter. Otherwise, Hillary Clinton would have been president. But it's worth noting that such a large lead is unusual in politics these days. Clinton never led by more than about seven points, for example. And at this point in the 2008 race, Barack Obama led John McCain by around six points. Uh, So So Trump needs to make a comeback. 
and there is plenty of time for that, and maybe also get some help from the Electoral College. The race is a bit tighter in the Midwest. We have Biden up by a more modest six points in Wisconsin. No, I, I stop it. Um, so he's doing this on a live stream, and so people are, what you heard, bloop, bloop, are, are the people like it. I'm sorry. I'm not going to put up with that anymore. But his point is that the president can actually win re-election. Don't freak out. It's still early. But the momentum is clearly with Joe Biden in the race right now in the Midwest, uh, in the the Rust Belt states, uh, and in in other areas where the president, like Arizona, where the president won, but he's now not doing well. There are avenues forward for Joe Biden much more so than the president, but if the president can get focused, he can win. And that is such a big issue right now. The president seems to lack focus. And he's got his campaign lying to him, causing him to go out and talk about how big the turnout's going to be in Tulsa, and it's not. There are clearly things misfiring in the Trump campaign. And the question he needs to ask himself is, does he actually want to win? And you and I can think it's a no-brainer. Of course he wants to win. But if that's the case then the president of the United States needs to fire some people on his campaign. Whoever lied to the president about his turnout needs to be fired. Whoever told the president that he was going to have hundreds of thousands of people show up needs to be fired. I mean, that that's just, that is the, the genuine, honest reality here. Whoever told the president that he was going to have massive turnout needs to be fired because very clearly that person lied to the president of the United States. And the result is that the president looked like a fool when he went out there and told people hundreds of thousands were going to show up and a million people got tickets. But also, and not not to, I am coming full circle here. I'm not even going to apologize for it. I'm coming full circle. One of the things we've heard over and over and over about the president's team is they've got the best data analytics team out there. Now, what is data analytics? Data analytics is you pull in all of this information about voters, and then you can match it across databases and find out who these people are. You can find out how much they make, what they watch on TV. Do they watch TV? What do they do recreationally? Are they Democrats? Are they Republicans? How often do they vote? Who do they vote for? Are they new voters? If they're new voters, who do they like on Facebook? Who do they interact with on social media to give you a profile of who that person is? And if you really had a bunch of progressives buying up all the tickets, you should have been able to run the data analytics on them and say, hey, look, these are young people who lean left. Why are they getting our tickets? What's going on here? And that they didn't do that is a problem. That they didn't do that. It's kind of weird, actually. It's, it's, it's kind of weird that they didn't do that, that they went out and bragged about the million-person number. And I part of me wonders is... Did they hope, was it just that they hoped these people would show up? They decided that they were going to go out and tell the president this, and, and they were going to hope that the numbers would materialize, that by the time the Tulsa uh, rally was there, people would show up. And they lied to the president because they presumed by the time they got there really wouldn't be a lie. That in and of itself is bad. And I'm telling you guys, someone needs to be fired on the campaign. Now, when we come back, we got to shift to Georgia because the hate crimes legislation, it is proceeding to pace. And now the Democrats are really upset that police may be a protected group. They're calling it a poison pill as opposed to why don't the Democrats want to protect the police from hate crimes?
Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I sure hope you had a good weekend and a happy Father's Day to the dads out there. I had a great relaxing Father's Day weekend. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Y'all, I am uh, genuinely delighted. I I, I rarely do this out of the gate, but I I just got to because I'm so, I didn't even realize they were going to do it. And, and I'm excited. A True Precision is the newest advertiser on this program, sponsor of this program. I, I will put up the gun they sent me as a gift last year. Uh, they're, they're listeners of the program. They, they love the program, and I love them. They are a family-owned Georgia company, and they are big advocates of concealed carry. In the second minute. Now, what, what do they do? Well, they produce high-quality American-made items for EDC that are affordable. Uh, you, you, you can, you can, uh, man, that, so they sent me a, oh, I'm just, it's, uh, I've got to put it on Instagram. I'm going to put, put it right now. If you follow me on Instagram at EW Erickson, um, it, it, well, you'll have to give me a minute. Instagram is messing up on my phone. Uh, they will, let me just go to their website so I can tell you all about them here. Um, I just, I can't describe for you how awesome my Glock is that uh, they put on new slides, uh, a, a gray camo. They they, they can uh, fit new barrels for a Glock 17, 19, 26, 43, with a SIG, an MMP. Uh, they got thread protectors. They got slides. Uh, go to their website. And show you. If you have any interest in guns at all, Go to true-precision.com. It's true-precision or true-precision.com and check them out. They do the coolest repackaging of guns. And it's also cool because a friend of mine is also the photographer they use. uh, And he was, is my photographer for radio and they're, they're just awesome. Uh, they're awesome. They have great value, great customer service. They bring cutting edge new products to, to guns. Uh, and I cannot, it, it, they specialize in barrels, slides, and triggers for Glock and six hour, six hour. Now here's the thing. Uh, you can use Eric E R I C K and you can get 10% off a purchase. Use Eric E R I C K, get 10% off a purchase. Um, man, the, the coatings, the finishes, I can't brag enough about true precision and I don't want to do an entire monologue on them because that's unfair to the other advertisers on the program. But I got to tell you, uh, my Glock that they sent me one. Cause I was mentioning on radio last year. Um, I was mentioning that I did, I've got a Glock 19. I've got an HK. I've got a CZ. I got Daniel defense, but I don't really have anything small enough. And I'm a, I'm let's just be honest here. I'm fat. Um, and, and, and concealed carry, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't have anything, I don't have a gun for concealed carry and they, they listened to the program and they were horrified that I didn't have a gun for concealed carry. And so they sent me one, uh, they sent me a Glock 43 and the thing is so, it is so awesome y'all. It really is. It is. It's. It's. I got to pick out the the barrel. I got to pick out the slides. I changed the grip on it. Uh, it's grippier. It's got a camo. It is so cool, uh, and I love it. And it is perfect for concealed. It is the perfect size for concealed carry. Nine millimeter. And man, do I love it. Uh, and they are good people. So if you want to, if you're interested at all, the website again. It's true 
precision.com. You can find them on Instagram as well and check out their work. Uh, they are true underscore precision underscore ink on Instagram, uh, but true-precision.com. Uh, go check them out on their website. Uh, y'all, I can't thank them enough for sponsoring. I'm so excited uh, that the Allens would sponsor this with their company. The Allens are, are the family that owns it, and I, I love them. I genuinely love them. I love my Glock so much uh, that they sent me, and you can get one like it. Although yours won't be as cool as mine, maybe. Uh, but I highly recommend them, true-precision.com. Thank you to them for sponsoring. Now we need to get into Georgia stuff. And to begin with Georgia stuff, I need to begin uh, where we had not wanted to go, but we must now go. Uh, the virus is trending upwards in Georgia. We are up above uh, the reproduction rate on the virus uh, towards the rate of exponential growth. We have a record high day of viruses on June 15th higher than at any other time since the virus outbreak began. We have 1,334 new cases of the virus as of June 15th. Uh, that has sent the uh, seven-day moving average upwards, uh, and it is not upwards with decline. It is just upwards, which means the virus is beginning widespread outbreak in Georgia through the community. Now, here is the interesting data on this uh, nationwide. It is that the virus is being spread among younger people. The virus is being spread among younger people. Uh, the number of people who are 60 and older getting the virus is in decline. The number of people who are 30 and younger getting the virus are in decline. Or, or I'm sorry, are in decline. <laughs> Can't speak all of a sudden. Are in increasing so you've got older people are no longer getting the virus. Younger people are. Derek Thompson, who's a reporter for The Atlantic, writes, uh, young adults are driving the spike in Texas and elsewhere. In Arizona, COVID cases are growing two times faster among the 20 to 44 crowd than the 65 and older. In Florida, the median age of new COVID-19 cases fell from 65 in March to 35 this week. Now, why is this important? A couple of things. One, uh, there's been a statistical mystery. As the number of cases are increasing, the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths is not increasing. Why? Well, younger people are less likely to go to the hospital and younger people are less likely to die of the virus. As a result, more people getting it, but fewer people going to the hospital are dying. Although in Dallas, Texas now, one of the big hospitals in Dallas, Texas saying, again, their ICU is now filled with COVID-19 patients and they're at capacity. Three big states are driving the increase, Texas, Arizona, and Florida. Um, now, here are a couple of things. Um, you've got actually um, widespread acceleration of cases among the young is actually possibly better. It's not a good thing but it's better than among the old because it means you're not going to tax resources as much. And uh, you got hundreds of thousands of uh, young people who are going to build up immunity, so they're not going to get it later. Uh, that also helps us, frankly, with getting back to school and college and stuff. But also, uh, you've got older people working in retail and in commercial industries and the young infected people, many of whom are asymptomatic, going in and spreading the virus to the old people. That could be a problem. Uh, this is happening in Georgia as well. Now, interestingly enough, this is a this is actually really um, this is actually really problematic. 
with the virus for a lot of people, we're not seeing spread among the people who went out and protested. Now, I know there was a big presumption from a lot of people we would see the virus spread from protesters. We're not actually seeing the virus spread from protests. We're seeing the virus spread in hot states where people are inside in air conditioning. That's where the virus is spreading. Indoor air conditioning, that is it. Uh, The kids who have been outside marching in the streets together, not socially distanced and not wearing masks, are better off uh, than the people who are in the sports bar uh, ridiculing them for spreading the virus in their marches. The people in the sports bar ridiculing them, uh, drinking together and having a good time are the ones who are getting infected. That's problematic, y'all. That is deeply problematic. Um, I, I, I gotta, I, I gotta say that we're going to have further economic disruption in the country if we can't all do what we need to do. And one of the, and for the life of me, I really don't see why it's controversial to wear a mask. Here's Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner. Well, we're seeing a resurgence in the South and the Southeast. They never really got rid of their epidemics. Now we're seeing significant outbreaks on top of a background rate of spread that was quite high. Um, as they reopened, that spread has continued to increase. And so, you know, a challenge that fit was facing some regions in the country now is facing every region in the country. And the, the worry is that they're going to tip over into exponential growth coming this week um, because the cases are building quite quickly in uh, Texas, Florida, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, Arizona. And the challenge with exponential growth is everything looks okay until suddenly it doesn't. And so this is something that has to be a concern of everyone that's been watching this. When you say exponential growth, are you saying that hospitals are about to get overwhelmed in places like Arizona and Texas? That's the concern. So if you look at places like Arizona, the hospitals now are getting pressed. Um, Midweek, there was a report out of Arizona that about 40 percent of the hospital beds were filled with COVID patients. Texas and Florida still are reporting a lot of capacity, even though Florida doesn't report the total hospitalizations for COVID patients. But these things can mount very quickly, as we saw in New York. Um, You're always when when the epidemic's expanding, it's always worse than what you're measuring. And so there are a lot more cases in these states that are going to get turned over this coming week. Given the rate of growth that we've seen, we know that there's community spread now underway in states like Florida, Texas, California, um, for that matter, too, and Arizona. Those are big states that have a lot of cases that have been building. And so this is going to be hard to get under control. We're not going to want to shut down businesses again. We're not going to want to shut down the economy. So there's not many tools we can reach for. We can do case-based interventions, the tracking and the tracing of sick people to get people isolated. We can go towards universal masking, something that's been controversial in some of these states. But there's not much else you can do. And so there's no quick intervention that's going to bring this to an end. Wearing masks. I, 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 I honest to goodness, I, I don't actually understand why the people who respect the sign that says no shirts, no shoes, no service are upset about wearing a mask in public, particularly if it can prevent the spread of the virus. And I've got friends who are in this camp, and I know some of you listening are in this camp. But I just don't understand why it's a big deal to you. The government makes you wear a seatbelt when you drive your car. The government makes you follow a speed limit. The government sets the side of the road on which you can drive. The government compels you to educate your kids. And now we're just saying, wear a mask. That's it. Wear a mask. We're in a crowd. Now, I, I'm, I'm actually not opposed if the government wanted to mandate it. And a lot of you think it's your, your, of all the things on planet Earth to make your hill to die on, wearing a freaking mask to prevent the spread of a deadly virus 
is your hill to die on. I I I don't know that I understand people anymore. I, I just I something is broken in the American psychology of of my liberty that you 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 don't even want to be a good neighbor. Oh well, I'm going to wear a mask unless the government makes me wear a mask, and then I'm not going to wear the mask if the government makes me. I, 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 what 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 in you broke as a human being that you can't be respectful of your neighbors and realize that in the countries where they've seen the virus go away, they're all wearing masks. I realize there's some absurdity there, and frankly, let's let's look at the other side of this. There are people who clearly, clearly in government have hurt their cause. The police officers chasing the guy down on the empty beach in California. Uh, shutting down uh, the the heavy hand of government bureaucrats. I totally get that. I'm sympathetic to it. But let's also recognize that there are people out there who are going to get sick. I just, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm, I I don't understand. I I don't get it. it. It deeply frustrates me. Um, that we would see this uh, of of conservatives, that the people who believe in you individually being socially responsible for the government doesn't have to step in, refusing to be socially responsible, and so the government's having to step in, and now they're revolting against the government for making them be socially responsible to stop the spread of a virus that could wreck the economy and ruin the president's chances of reelection. But it's my liberty. Uh, you wear shirts and shoes when you go into the grocery store with a sign that tells you to. Are you now going to start walking around naked too? Well, the, I'm not letting the government tell me to wear clothes. It's just, it, it, y'all, it, it's silly. The the things that, that trigger people these days are, it, it really is silly. We now know, forget what the, the, I mean, we got Dr. Fauci out there now basically saying the government was lying to you earlier about not wearing masks because they needed to get them to first responders first. We now know from Slovakia, from Slovenia, from Taiwan, from Vietnam, from South Korea, from Japan, that you wear a mask in public, you get rid of the virus quicker. And here in this country, uh, government can't tell me what to do. Oh, wait. You've got to buckle your seatbelt before we drive or we'll get a ticket. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. Want to be on the show? Call Eric now at 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Well, the Supreme Court is is releasing some opinions. I've got my eye on them. If there's anything significant, thus far there is not. We're waiting for some big cases from the Supreme Court. Um, we will we will see where this goes. Uh, and, you know, we do need to come closer to home. The hate crimes legislation is uh, making its way through the Senate. It is going to be up for debate. They added law enforcement, which was great. Uh, so religion is now in there um, and law enforcement is in there. They did not add political speech. They declined to do that. Uh, but still, it's an improvement. I, I find it very interesting that the Democrats are objecting. You know, this is not, contrary to what some would say, this is not a wild card scenario here. We actually do have uh, scenarios where law enforcement has been subject to harassment, intimidation, and crime because, uh, for example, uh, they drove their patrol car home. We, we've seen this. This is a reality. This is not some made-up thing here. 
Uh, what we are seeing is police around the country. It's happened here. In, it's happened in Gwinnett County here in Georgia. I believe someone told me in, in Paulding County as well this has now happened, where police officers were harassed because they were police officers. And what the, the Democrats say is, is occupation shouldn't be a hate crime. No, 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 no. If you are employed to keep people safe, you are a first responder and people are targeting you for hate crimes, you should be protected. You absolutely should be protected. Why shouldn't occupation be included if it is an occupation that provides a public service that subjects you to hate and intimidation? You know darn well if they decided to include politicians in there, they would be jumping for it. It is very eye-opening that the Democrats think that protecting police is a poison pill to the legislation. Are the Democrats who are desperate for hate crimes legislation not going to vote for hate crimes now because the police are a protected class? Are, are they going to scuttle their own hate crimes legislation because of police? That's a very telling thing with the Democrats. And frankly, I think it gives the Republicans an avenue moving forward on this. Because Republicans are on defense, whether you like it or not, the Republicans are on defense right now. And I really think, really, really do think that they've got an avenue to to fight back against the Democratic narrative right now. That the Republicans wanted to give you hate crimes legislation, but the Democrats killed it because they didn't want to protect police officers from hate crimes. They didn't want to protect law enforcement and first responders. The people who call police, they call 911 and get the police. Re- remember the guy at George Tech? He wound up actually getting shot and killed. Uh, he was a, a trans rights activist. The guy clearly had, had issues. And he called the police and essentially staged his suicide by having the police kill him. Called the police and, and claimed there was a crime. And it was him because he wanted to be shot and killed, it seems, uh, based on the record. Y- y'all... There are police in this country who get called to crimes and then the crime is committed on the police. If you're going to charge people with hate crimes, charge the people who are targeting the police for crimes with hate crimes. Do you think it won't do any good? Well, if you think it won't do any good, it's not going to do any good on anything else either. It is it, it is a it gives the Republicans, listen, uh whether you like it or not, overwhelmingly Americans support the police. And in Georgia, the number is higher than the national average. Even with and look at the Rashard Brooks situation, uh, the number of people who support the police in the Rashard Brooks situation, the number of people who look at the Rashard Brooks, even the Atlanta Journal Constitution editorial board is is raising questions about Paul Howard charging a police officer with murder in Georgia for the killing of Rashard Brooks. They should be raising questions. Everyone should be raising questions. Uh, Doug Collins had a, a back the blue rally. He's calling for Paul Howard to step down. Uh, he wanted Chris Carr, the attorney general to replace him. Chris Carr came out and said under Georgia law, he's not allowed to replace, uh, the district attorney unless the GBI investigation into his corruption finds problems and he gets indicted. If, if Paul Howard were to get indicted, he could be removed. But until then, the, the, you, the, Uh, Attorney General can't do anything, but Doug Collins isn't wrong. Paul Howard should be removed. Paul Howard should remove himself, and he's not going to, and he's using this to try to get reelected. 
Well, the hate crimes legislation was not the only thing going on this weekend. Uh, There was a backdoor effort to build a casino in Georgia, and they tried to rush it through. I need to bring you up to speed on what's going on in the legislature when we come back here on the Eric Erickson program. The phone number 877-97-ERIC if you want to be a part of the show. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Now... We need to get into the other thing that the legislature wants to do. Well, possibly. So if you are a a regular, (laughs) wait a second, a buddy of mine texting the Stevie Ray Vaughn statue at at, uh, the Texas State Capitol in Austin has been vandalized. Good Lord. They've tore down uh, Ulysses S. Grant. They want to tear down Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, You know, so a, a buddy of mine is leading a crusade that Yale needs to change its name. Uh, Yale is named after Elihu Yale, who was a huge slave owner and slave trader. And uh, why isn't Yale changing its name if, they, if they're really serious about all of this? It's not a bad point, actually. Now, I, I, I got to, um, I, I need to back up. I need to back up. That's where I need to be. Let me focus on this. If you listen to this program regularly, You will hear me reference going to Las Vegas. I like going to Las Vegas. I don't actually get, well, I will gamble. You know, Chris Burns of Dynamic Money is a friend, uh, and I'll gamble with his money in Vegas. (laughs) I'll gamble with my financial advisor's money. I won't gamble. I I don't like gambling. Why? Because I work really darn hard to make money, and I don't want to lose it uh, betting against the house in Las Vegas, but I love to go to Las Vegas. I don't have a problem with gambling. And I'll play blackjack. I'm terrible, but I'll play. Um, I don't play poker. I just, I don't understand poker. I've never learned. Um, I'll throw money in a slot machine, but it's like buying a lottery ticket. You're not going to win, uh, but I, I don't have a problem with it. I, and I like going to Las Vegas. I go to Las Vegas because the restaurants, I, I, I'm a picky eater, but I love going to nice restaurants uh, and, and going to the shows and all that. I don't have a problem. If you want to go gamble, I, I don't have a problem. If you want to get online and, and do sports betting online, I don't have a problem with it. Don't have a problem with casinos. Don't have a problem with gambling. Um, I, I don't care. Uh, it's not my thing, but I don't care if you do it. Here, Here's the thing, though. I do have a problem with building a casino in, in Atlanta. Uh, and the reason I have a problem with building a casino in Atlanta is, well, uh, to quote the former mayor of Atlanta, Kasim Reed, Las Vegas is in a desert for a reason. Study after study after study after study after study after study that is not paid for by casinos shows very similar things. Uh, in states that decide they want casinos to boost education, what happens is the states actually wind up losing money. So, for example, you got the Hope Scholarship in Georgia funded by lottery proceeds. You bring in a casino and you're actually going to see a decrease in money for the Hope Scholarship. It's actually financially negative. Don't believe me. Believe the state of Illinois. Believe the state of Missouri. Believe the state of Maryland. Believe the state of Louisiana. All of them brought in casinos to boost their education funding, and it did the exact opposite. They wound up having to cut money and raise taxes uh, because they, too, can't win against the House. Also, uh, crime goes up, prostitution goes up, human trafficking goes up, spousal abuse goes up, domestic abuse goes up, drug use goes up, drug sales go up, uh, bankruptcies go up, uh, business closures go up. All of these things tend to happen, particularly the way the legislation is structured in Georgia. In Georgia, they want to put a constitutional amendment out. And they want you to vote on it, but and you got to look at the underlying. The, the constitutional amendment seems innocuous, but you got to look at the underlying legislation that they've drafted to go with it. 
And in the underlying legislation that they've drafted to go with it, part of the revenue, a, a bulk of the revenue for the casino that they would build would have to come from entertainment and dining. That means that you would have to, I think 40% of the money that is generated by the casino would have to come from entertainment venues inside the casino and restaurants inside the casino. Now, there's a problem with that and maybe you can see it as I'm describing it. Take your favorite music venue. If you're in Athens, what's your favorite music venue in Athens? Y'all all know. So let's take the Georgia Theater. Let's take the Fox in Atlanta. Let's take the Verizon Amphitheater. Let's take the Macon Coliseum or the Macon Auditorium. The casinos are going to pay to attract the stars who would otherwise go to those venues. Because the casinos have a financial necessary incentive to do it, they would be required that 40% of their sales come. Let's take your favorite restaurant. My favorite restaurant in the state, or, I don't know. Uh, you join up in Clayton may now be my favorite restaurant. Uh, Universal Junction up there in Clayton. I'm I'm telling you, it's fantastic. Uh, the brisket tacos up there are fantastic. Uh, and it's worth taking a trip to Clayton to eat at that restaurant. It is, it is that good. I am in love with that restaurant. The atmosphere, the vibe, all of it. Um, but... Normally, my favorite restaurant is Table of Maine up in Roswell, Georgia. It is, if you've never been to Roswell, Georgia, they have this restaurant row, their, their main Canton Street, uh, it's their main street, and every restaurant is fantastic. Every single restaurant is is incredible. And Table of Maine is my favorite. Every ingredient comes with about 50 miles of the restaurant. Everything is, the, the menu is seasonal. It's just, it's terrific. I love it. Love the atmosphere. They've got an Italian restaurant, the same people across the street. It's just as good. But I love Table of Maine. Go get the fried chicken. It's great. Well, the casino bill is structured so that 40% of the revenue must come from restaurants and entertainment at the casino, which means that the casino is going to pay money to put in amazing restaurants at the casino and to do live music venues. And the result of that is it's going to hurt the local restaurant scene in the wherever the casino goes, whether it's Savannah or Athens or Atlanta or wherever. It's going to hurt the local restaurant scene. Not only is it going to hurt the local restaurant scene, it's going to hurt the local entertainment scene. So the Fox Theater is going to be hurt. The Georgia Theater is going to be hurt. The Verizon Amphitheater is going to be hurt. Lakewood Amphitheater is going to be hurt. Uh, the, the Savannah venues are going to be hurt because the casino is going to be paying to bring people there under the way the legislature wants this to work. See, the legislature doesn't really – the legislature understands that you're betting against the House and you're going to be hurt – if you try to do this, legislation is structured. And that's a problem. Because the way the legislature understands it is if they make all their money off of gambling, the state legislature, they look at Louisiana, Missouri, Illinois, and what they did, they're not going to be able to make the money necessary to be able to prop up the Hope Scholarship. They're actually going to hurt the Hope Scholarship. So what they want to do is they want to ensure that at least 40% 
of the revenue is generated by entertainment and and, and um, food, and there aren't house odds on that, and so they'll still be able to get some revenue. But all they're doing is they're depriving the local restaurants of that. They're depriving the local shops of that. They're depriving the local entertainment venues of that, and the result is that you are going to see businesses close. You do this as designed by our state legislature, you're going to kill off your favorite local entertainment venue. You're going to kill off your local favorite restaurant. Maybe some of them will find a home at the casino, but there will only be so much. You're going to attract tourist dollars to the casino. The tourist dollars that would go to the Atlanta Zoo will go elsewhere. The tourist dollars that would go to the, uh, what is it? There's a um, rehabilitation facility in, in Blue Ridge for monkeys. Those people who might go up there and see that, they're going to go to the casino. The people who would go uh, whitewater rafting or tubing down one of the local rivers, they're going to go to the casino. The casino is going to become the tourist destination. Again, that's why Las Vegas is in a desert. It has nothing to do about the gambling. It has everything to do about the way the bill is structured. The bill fundamentally would kill local businesses. It is destruct- it, is, it is designed to do that by the people who wrote the bill. They want people going to the casino, and they want them going to the casino and not just gambling, but eating and watching entertainment there, which means you're going to pull it from other venues, and it's going to hurt them. Now, this legislation was supposed to die. It was dead. It wasn't going anywhere. And the House decided at the last minute, when no one was looking late on Friday, to try to resurrect it. It had come over from the Senate, and Alan Powell and the House Regulated Industries Committee decided that he was going to resurrect it. And in resurrecting it, he was going to try to pass it over the weekend. I raised a red flag about it on my radio show on Friday afternoon in Atlanta. And I text messaged all of my activists. You know, if you text the word army to 33777, you subscribe to the activist army list. And if you were on that list, you got a text message from me saying, hey, this is coming. You need to know the names of the people who are on the House Regulated Industry Committee, because you may know some of them. Alan Powell, Jay Collins, Lee Hawkins, Karen Bennett, Michael Caldwell, Casey Carpenter, Kevin Cook, Sharon Cooper, Jenny Earhart, Brett Harrell, Rick Jaspersi, Jan Jones, Jeff Jones, Tom Kirby, Chuck Martin, Billy Mitchell, Jason Ridley, Terry Rogers, Dale Rutledge, Michael Smith, Mickey Stevens, Dale Washburn, Andrew Welch, Rick Williams, Bruce Williamson. Those are the members of the House Regulated Industry Committee. Again, Alan Powell, Jay Collins, Lee Hawkins, Karen Bennett, Michael Caldwell, Casey Carpenter, Kevin Cook, Sharon Cooper, Jenny Earhart, Brett Harrell, Rick Jaspersi, Jan Jones, Jeff Jones, Tom Kirby, Chuck Martin, Billy Mitchell, Jason Ridley, Terry Rogers, Dale Rutledge, Michael Smith, Mickey Stevens, Dale Washburn, Andrew Welch, Rick Williams, and Bruce Williamson. And Alan Powell, the chairman wanted to rush this through while everybody was distracted. He's over in Hartwell, Georgia. He wanted to rush it through. It would have devastating impact on local business. It would have devastating impact on local restaurants, have a devastating impact on the local music scene in Georgia. All your favorite venues would be at risk if this legislation as structured passed. It would hurt the Hope Scholarship as well. Because we see time and time again that when casinos come into states like Louisiana, I I know, you know how Louisiana got casinos, the Louisiana Constitution bans gambling. 
Do you know why the Louisiana Constitution bans gambling? Uh, in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, the Louisiana legislature convened in New Orleans, not in not in Baton Rouge, where the capital is now. And the, um, the the state legislature failed to make quorum repeatedly because the legislators were out gambling and in whorehouses. And so the Louisiana Constitution bans gambling and prostitution. Why? Because the state legislature was going out, getting drunk, uh, hanging out with prostitutes and gambling. I'm not making this up. And and the state capital was moved to, to Baton Rouge out of New Orleans. They had to get the legislature out of New Orleans. The Supreme Court's still there, but the legislature moved to, to Baton Rouge to get away from all of it so they could actually meet. Well, when Edwin Edwards was the governor of Louisiana, he appointed every member of the state Supreme Court, and he literally argued that games of chance were gaming, not gambling. And the Louisiana Supreme Court agreed that it was not gambling, and the state constitution banned gambling. But the state constitution did not ban gaming, and so they would allow it. Y'all think I'm making that up. And you know what happened? He wanted to do it because he got jealous of George's Hope Scholarship under Zell Miller. And he wanted something similar in Louisiana. Had the lottery. He wanted to bring in casinos. And he wanted that money to go to education. And do you know what? Louisiana still has education funding problems. The casinos actually exacerbated the problem. Because in addition to property taxes going down in areas where the casino was, you don't bet against the house. You don't bet against the house. And even the legislature can't win against the house. Which is why you don't need this in Georgia. Again, no, I I, I support uh, um, uh, Brandon Beach in the state Senate wanted to push sports betting. And he's a, a billion percent right. Uh, sports betting, I don't know. I, I think I'm the only person who doesn't bet on sports just because I don't pay attention enough. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with you going to Vegas. Go to a casino. Go, go to the Gulf Coast. Go, go to the Cherokee Casino. Go, go wherever you want. I, I don't have a problem with it. I'll go to Vegas. You take me to Vegas with you. I want to go to Vegas. But do it there, not here because of the financial impact it would have elsewhere. And the fact that members of our state legislature are, and they're getting money from casino lobbyists, just so you understand, the reason this is coming up is the casino lobbyists in Georgia, MGM is one of the biggest ones, pouring money into lobbyists who are pouring campaign dollars into the coffers of Republican politicians to get them to pass this legislation. And you need to be aware of it. You need to understand what's going on here. It is essentially bribery to get this legislation passed. It couldn't make it through the House of Representatives. And then on a Friday evening when no one was paying attention, everyone was distracted by hate crimes in the Senate. They tried to rush it through. And they're still trying to rush it through. And I hope you'll take action to stop it. And the way to take action to stop it is to text the word ACTION to 55444. If you text the word ACTION to 55444, I will send you back a link. You click the link, you put in your zip code, and you can generate an email, you can generate a tweet, you can even generate a phone call to your member of the state house and tell them to kill this legislation. Save the Fox Theater, save the George Theater, save the Verizon Amphitheater, save your favorite local restaurant. Protect them from this legislation. The way it is designed, it is designed to end these businesses and benefit the casino. So text ACTION to 55444, get that link back, and take action to save these places. The fact that they thought while you were distracted they could rush this through should tell you everything about why it's a bad idea. Most people in Georgia don't have a problem with gambling. 
I don't have a problem with gambling. I have a problem with destroying local businesses to benefit lobbyists. I, that I have a problem with, and that's what they want to do. National Connections, local focus. Eric Erickson is live every weekday. I need to send more recipes, don't I? I I've been busy. I've been busy. Nonetheless, you should be busy too. Text the word ACTION to 55444. Shut down this casino legislation nonsense. You know, is there a way, I got an email uh, during the commercial break from a listener, want to know, is there a way that they could do the casino that I would be okay with? Yes, yes, there actually is a way I think they could do a casino in Georgia that I would probably be okay with. That is, put it in the middle of nowhere. So if you're coming, uh, you're you're if you're going to the casino, you are going because you want to be there. You're not going there to uh, it, taking tourist dollars and revenue away from local businesses in the Savannah, Atlanta, whatever. I mean, put it down in the freaking swamp down in South Georgia, or up in the mountains somewhere, uh, away from major uh, tourist destinations already. Uh, you don't want it near Blue Ridge. You don't want it near Clayton or Clarksville. You don't want it in the Atlanta area or Athens or Savannah or Macon. Uh, you, but there there are definitely ways to do it so that it is a destination and you're going and you're staying there. And the other thing is do it in such a way that you're not then, uh, you're not banking on the fact that it's somehow going to boost education funds in the state. Don't make promises like that because every study shows that it's probably not. But you want to do it outside of a major, uh, you want to do it outside of major metropolitan areas so that uh, the drug violence, the gang violence, the the domestic violence, the, the bankruptcies and stuff like that aren't necessarily uh, in, in the immediate vicinity of the casino. It's a standalone location, very much like a, an Indian uh, casino res on a reservation. You're doing it outside of the heavily congested areas, but you do have the option. I mean, frankly, Take a rural part of the state in, in middle or south Georgia and build a giant casino there. Yeah, actually, the data suggests it would hurt some of the local people. But it would also generate income there and could actually help elevate some of those counties. But if you're just putting one more thing in Atlanta in addition to hurting local uh, venues like the Fox and others, you're, you're, you're really hurting local businesses. You're hurting local people. There's a way to do it, but the way the legislature has contemplated it is not it. But frankly, an MGM or, or, or one of the other major casino builders, they don't want to go out to somewhere rural and build their casino because they want the easier money, and the easier money is in a metro area. You put the casino in, say, Savannah. Put it on Hutchinson Island where the Westin is. You're going to have a lot of people going to the casino, and they're not going to go to downtown Savannah. They're going to stay at the casino, and you're going to be depriving Savannah. That Put it in Athens. There's all sorts of stuff to see in Athens, from the botanical gardens, the local music venues, the local restaurants. You put a casino there, guess where those people are not going to go? All the pre-existing places they would otherwise go. There are ways to do it, but our legislature seems too stupid to want to do the right, do it the right way. It's just it it, it is mind-numbing how stupid they are when it comes to this stuff, uh, and they're being dictated to by the lobbyists. Never let the lobbyists dictate to you. Text action to 55444 to kill it. Now, when we come back, we got other state news. Uh, they want to raise cigarette taxes. Bipartisan, Republicans and Democrats alike want to raise cigarette taxes. And they also are considering letting grocery stores do beer and wine delivery. But out of the gate when we come back, this is going to hurt your head. It is. 
but we need to discuss this. Uh, you know Slate. Slate is famous for Slate takes. Slate is where liberals go to get paid to write stupid things. Someone wrote in and said their children, white children, were raised in a multi-ethnic, multi-racial school. Their friends are across the board, black, Hispanic, whatnot, and they're really upset in going to college. The college wants them to know the racial preferences of the roommates. And you know what? The kids are bad for not seeing race. The kids have white privilege for seeing their friends as friends and not seeing their friends as of a race. You just can't make this stuff up. Hello, America. How are you today? Happy Father's Day again to the dads out there. Hope you had a good one. Uh, you know, real quick, um, I, I just, uh, yeah, we'll get into all the stuff I said, but I forgot. I wrote this over the weekend. It's worth pondering for a moment. You know, so maybe, oh, I'm I'm, I'm going where, where wisdom and good judgment says I should not go, but several different friends of mine who are pastors have commented in the past that if you on Mother's Day, if you believe in expositional preaching, typically what happens is you work your way through a book of the Bible and uh, uh, diving deep along the way, and heaven help you if you get to Mother's Day and continue, if you're if you're in Ephesians and you continue preaching in Ephesians on Mother's Day, may God have mercy on your soul because the people in the congregation will not. You're supposed to do a special sermon on Mother's Day. And more than one pastor has commented to me that in doing something similar for Father's Day, more than one person, more than one mother has come up and complained, uh, why are you focusing on the father so much? Um, mothers matter too. And I would say that this is a, maybe this is a one-off experience, but I myself, have had this experience where I have talked about Father's Day and how fathers matter and get irate phone calls from people saying they're single moms and they matter too. Well, you have a holiday for you called Mother's Day. That's not your day now, is it, selfish? Uh, no, we're talking about fathers because it's Father's Day. I appreciate that you do the work of both parents, but you have Mother's Day and you will be loved on mothers. It really is a, 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 a selfish phenomenon. And I, I heard these preachers saying this and then realized, you know what? Wow, this has happened to me now. Uh, angry people upset with me for giving fathers their due on Father's Day. Well, yesterday was Father's Day. I want to make a point about Father's Day. And yes, we need to make a point here, and I'm going to ground it in words from the Bible. This is from the story of Noah. The Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Here's the only reason I, I, I bring scripture into this is even within the, the earliest words of scripture, this is Genesis chapter six. You're six chapters into Holy Scripture, and there's a father who matters. Now, how, how does he matter? 
Well, Noah's children, his children's wives, and Noah's own wife were able to seek passage on the ark. They were able to get on the boat, and they were able to live with the flood all around them, not because of a single thing that they did, but because the father and husband Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. The moral of the story for from this vantage point is that dads matter, fathers matter. Uh, we are often, uh, we put mom on a pedestal, we ignore dad. You look at commercials, it's always the dad who's the butt of the joke in commercials. It's always the dad who's the punchline. Uh, dads are often viewed as dispensable in culture. Uh, in the life of a child, a dad is not dispensable. I, I read some, some tearjerker uh, pieces over the weekend from kids who grew up without knowing their dads and the impact it had on them. Dads matter. Noah's three sons, their wives, Noah's wife, they weren't found righteous by God. They did not walk with God. Only Noah did. Only Noah, of all the people on the planet at the time, only Noah did. But because of him, they got their lives spared. So the moral of the story here, very very quickly, is, is one, happy Father's Day, but two, dads, be involved in your children's lives. Whether you are married or divorced or never got married, if you have children, you must play a role in your child's life. Your children will go looking for a father if you are not their father. And if you are a a piece of garbage father, well, guess what? Your children will probably wind up being pieces of garbage, but for the saving grace of God. Play a good role in your child's life. You are not dispensable in the way culture sometimes says you are dispensable. You are, you are not dispensable. You are indispensable in the life of your children. You really do matter to their physical well-being and to their spiritual well-being. The three sons of Noah would have died had their father not been righteous. Because he was, they were saved. Because you are, your children may be spared. In we have spent a lot of time in these last couple of weeks talking about uh, Black Lives Mattering and the forces at work in black communities. The data is equivalent there as it is in white communities that two parent nuclear households with an active and engaged father outperform all others. In fact, there's data out there that in single households, when it's a single father, the kids outperform single mothers. Now, that's not to disparage single mothers, but it is striking data just how much of an impact a father has on the life of a child. It is also very striking. Frankly, there's a lot of data out there that on on daughters who do not have fathers active in their lives, uh, the rates of teen pregnancy, um, uh, potential for sexual abuse and other matters, uh, all escalate. Fathers very much matter to the lives of their children. They matter to the safety and well-being of their daughters and to their sons. They matter as to the integrity and character of their sons and of their daughters. Matter into their spiritual well-being. To be engaged in the life of your children is actually a really big deal for both parents. And we spend a lot of time on this with moms and not with dads. It's it's rarely is it the mother who abandons the family. Sometimes that happens. I, I know people whose families that's happened to. The mother walked out on them. And it leaves a trauma in the family. And it leaves a trauma in the family when the father walks out on them. And society makes it much more, uh, makes it much easier for a father to do it because fathers are treated dispensably to begin with. 
and they shouldn't be. Uh, two parents matter. It, it, it's one of the, the 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 things that I have to part ways with when it comes to, for example, Black Lives Matter, the organization, which says that uh, the two-parent nuclear household is a Western imposition. It's not a Western imposition. It goes back to the beginning of time. God created Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply. And by the way, I believe these things are true. I don't believe they're a mythology or, or a story creation. I, I believe the account of Adam and Eve. I believe the account of Noah. Whether I believe them or not, all of the sociological data out there bears it out that having a two-parent nuclear household is the best way to raise your child. It gives your children an advantage. It's not a matter of privilege. It's a matter of great blessing that your children uh, have a mother and a father at home. And so just dads, remember. Remember the example of Noah. Uh, don't, don't let society... Uh, treat you as dispensable, even though society will, you can choose to ignore it and be a part of your kids' lives. If you are listening out there right now and you are a man who has children and you don't have a good relationship with your children, you need to work on that. We all need to work on that. I I spend so much time working and I'm blessed I work out of the house, but you know what the kids got me for Father's Day? Uh, They got me, uh, there's a place in Macon called 7th Street Salvage and they've been making uh, woodworking items where they've got all the items. They're all cut up. They're all measured. They're all sanded. All you have to do is put them together. And and my kids wanted to spend time with me building my son in particular, my 11 year old. And so I, I got lumber for father's day. Uh, and it was lumber. It, it was sweet lumber that they, they, they want to spend time with me building these bar stools for our back porch, which we're putting windows in and, and trying to make a, another, a sunroom in the house. And they want to spend time with me. And, and I am sometimes I work so much of the house I sometimes have a hard time remembering, you know, you got to spend loving quality time with your family uh, and we're going to be able to spend time together, building stuff together. I frankly, I would love to learn, learn to woodwork, you know, Charlie, uh, my producer here, Charlie, don't, don't, don't get your ego all, all blown up, but I am profoundly jealous and amazed at his ability to build stuff. Uh, he built a smoker in his backyard, rent, has been renovating his house pretty much single-handedly. I am not handy at all. In fact, we've got a leak under our sink, and, and our kitchen cabinetry is starting to sink a little bit. There's a leak in there, and I'm sure it's riding out the floor. I'm going to have to get in one of those restoration companies with the insurance company, I guess, to try to figure out what's going on in the house. I, and I'm absolutely clueless. I don't even know who to call. Who do you call when you have these problems? We keep finding water under our kitchen sink, and it's at random times. There's just water, standing water there. We don't know where it's coming from. And we assume there must be a drain pipe or something behind the cabinet that is has a, a small leak in it, and occasionally it's it's getting water into the cabinet. I have no idea, but I can tell you from our caulking that the the cabinet has sunk a little bit. I don't know who you call for this sort of stuff. Uh, and and meanwhile, Charlie he can tear out whole walls and rebuild and and brick in and and stone in fireplaces. I got my buddy Drew Ryan. Uh, who may be listening right now out in Texas, just an elaborate woodworker. I never had that skill set. I've always been jealous of people who I always wanted it. Really, let's be honest, I wanted the power tools. I didn't necessarily want the skill set. I just wanted the tools. I wanted the saws. And I probably, if I had the saws, I could figure it out. But I'm just, I'm terrible at it. So it was great. My wife got this kit from the 7th Street Salvage Place that has everything pre-measured. All I got to do is hammer the nails and screw the stuff together, which I'm totally capable of doing that. I know how to use a drill. I can use a drill. But nonetheless, uh, spend time with your kids. Dads actually do matter, believe it or not. Wow, did I spend a lot of time on this? I didn't mean to. Uh, I'm going to go on and take a commercial break because when I come back, 
We've got to talk about your whiteness and your your inability to see race. Believe it or not, we if you live believe we live in a colorblind society where you and your family don't see race, you just see the content of people's character like Martin Luther King Jr. said we should do, you are a racist, believe it or not. Crazy people out there these days. Honest news and conservative views. Never separated from the truth. It's the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let me tell you about uh, First Liberty Building and Loan here in Georgia. They, my friends, can get you into the PPP program. Well, they can't guarantee it, but they'll certainly try. Uh, if you need access to the PPP program, and, and by the way, uh, Mr. Frost, who owns the place, uh, and, and some of you know the Frosts, He's been telling me one of the issues is they're getting people coming to the the office or calling in or, or applying, and they just don't think they're eligible for it. And he said you'd actually be amazed at, the, at those who are eligible who don't think they're eligible for the PPP program. So if you're at all curious, go to FirstLibertyGA.com and apply. Uh, you've got to do it by the end of this month. Uh, PPP runs out at the end of this month. They stop taking applications to the Small Business Administration. Uh, but go to FirstLibertyGA.com. Uh, it is a, I, I was actually, I was up in Clarksville the other night. Um, oh, that reminds me, I got to get some audio for Jeff Patton up there. Um, but I, I was up in Clarksville the other night and a lady came up to me. She said, I got a bone to pick with you. Uh, First Liberty, I'm still waiting to get into the program. And she says, it really wasn't their fault. It's just, it is a nightmare right now because the, the SBA just can't get its act together. Uh, but you can go to First Liberty GA, get your application. And now, and as long as your application is in by the end of the month, they can help you. They can't guarantee it, um, but I definitely do recommend them. I know the Frost family. They're good people. Uh, it's firstlibertyga.com is the website you can apply online with them. Uh, and thank you for their sponsorship of the program. Hey, y'all, I've got a, where is the story now? Um, yes, here it is. You know, Slate. Slate is, uh, Slate is a, a, it started out as a project of the Washington Post. It's now an independent kind of online magazine. I got to read you this. Um, this is so absurd. By the way, by the way, if you write a Dear Abby-style letter to Slate, you should expect a stupid answer. My family is white, and we live in a predominantly white neighborhood. However, our kids, twin boys, went to a local public charter elementary and middle school that was very diverse. When it was time for high school, our twins were lucky enough to have their closest friends from elementary and middle school attend the same school. Each of the boys had a diverse group of friends. And they were taken aback as freshmen in high school by the way other kids sat at tables in same race clusters. The kids who had gone to our small middle school where tables were assigned by grade continued to hang out at lunch together as a mixed group. Now my sons have graduated and their closest friends are still a mix of black, Hispanic, and white kids. I have never been concerned about the kids having any issues around race. But one of our sons mentioned recently how irritated he is by the form he has to fill out regarding a college roommate. He has to specify his race, and all of the profiles of potential roommates he views also include race. He says all he cares about is if they are male or female and what their interests are. He doesn't care about race. With everything going on in the U.S. now, I'm doing more reading on racism. And if I'm understanding correctly, not caring about race is almost as bad as focusing only on race. Should he care what race his friends are? Or is it okay for him to not even care notice? Is there something we should be doing or talking to our kids about before they go to college, or is it too late? Are they just as racist as someone who only has white friends, or am I worrying about nothing? 
signed making a mountain out of a molehill question mark now think of the mentality of the parent who wrote that now here's the response dear making a mountain out of a molehill i don't believe for a second that you think your kids are racist so this feels like a disingenuous question one that is that means to challenge the idea that not caring about or not noticing race is itself racist. So I will say this, not caring about or noticing race is a privilege reserved for people who are white. Black and brown people in the U.S. do not have that luxury, and not just with everything going on right now, but ever. And that's the thing you should be talking to your kids about. For starters, as the psychologist Megan Underhill, who studies race and family, has said white people aren't outside of race. They're at the top of the racial hierarchy. Dismissing or downplaying this reality only perpetuates inequality and violence. In last Sunday's column, I made lots of suggestions about resources for self-education, so I won't repeat them here, but I will note that your kids are old enough to begin to educate themselves too. So all of you start reading and start talking. It most certainly is not too late. It's great that your kids have grown up with a diverse group of friends. It ought to be the norm. And as to their part in contributing to the goal of a non-racist race lunchroom in high school, good for them. But non-racism is only the first step towards a more just society Anti-racism requires more of us. I trust that your sons, given their experience, their friendship, their sense of what injustice would look like, would embrace the opportunity to learn how to take next steps. I urge you to take them right along with your kids. So the parent is bad for presuming it was a good thing that her kids didn't see race. No, no. You are apparently supposed and see this is the, the thinking of the law. But can you imagine Martin Luther King Jr. today? Who the man who said that we should be we should be valued not only the color of our skin, but the content of our character. And now the left says, no, no. The the color of your skin matters. We we can't have a colorblind society. You must not only notice race, but you must now give advantages to those who are not white. All that's gonna do is breed resentment. You know, it what what What's happening with the ra- with the left right now when it comes to race is they're trying to speed things along in ways that will give blowback. You know, generationally over time, the situation does get better. And you see this on a regular basis. But it does take time. And that sucks for those who are at a disadvantage. It does. But it does also take time. We are further removed from D-Day than we are from the end of Jim Crow. And segregation in this country. You know, Bubba, uh, what is it, Bubba Wallace, NASCAR, has come out against the Confederate flag, uh, was able to get NASCAR to ban the Confederate flag at uh, Alabama. Uh, I don't know if, it, I'm assuming it was at Talladega. Someone left a noose in his area. They're now investigating who. There is limited access to the facility. There was limited access to where the uh, facility and the pl- location where the noose was left. So someone affiliated with NASCAR or one of the teams had to have done it. Someone hired a plane to fly a Confederate flag over a NASCAR race. We still live in a world with a bunch of racists, and there are always going to be racists because there's always going to be sin in the world. But the goal here really should be for us to move beyond race as a society. And the fact that the left is now acknowledging that can't be the goal because people might actually all be treated equal is is part of the problem. They want to speed things along and breed resentment to actually healing this country. 
It is remarkable to me how the further along we go in generations, the less and less race is an issue. And the left wants you to think that's bad, that you're part of the problem if you want to, if if you believe time heals, heals old wounds, you're part of the problem. There will always be inequity and there will always be racism because there will always be sinners. Our goal, however, should be for all of us to move beyond race, to value the content of someone's character and to provide every kid access to a good education so they can get out of it out of public schools or private schools and head into college and all have a chance to compete on a level playing field, which hasn't been the case because of race. We need to move on to a better society, but making people feel guilty because their kids don't see someone's race as an issue, it's not the way to do it. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-872-0750. And that's the wrong number. You can't call me there. That's the evening show. I keep doing this. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. It is my time to tell you about dynamic money. Uh, only because I'm having to go through more of the budgeting process right now. Listen, um, I know economic circumstances right now, and some of you, you, you want to refi, and now Chris Burns doesn't actually do refis. But one of the, what he does is he helps you. He's basically, I mean, think of dynamic money. So the, his company is dynamicmoney.com. Yes, I'm talking about my guest host. He's also my friend. He's also my financial advisor. Uh, think of them as a primary care physician for your money. Uh, what he did with me and, and Christy is he they got in all of our stuff, our life insurance plans or what we've got in retirement, what we've got in our bank account, all of that information. And our house, and he looked and he said, all right, here are your debts. Here's your house. Here's your equity in your house. Refi your house. Take this money. Pay off these credit cards. That's going to free up this amount of money. Take this money. Apply it over here to pay off the rest of these debts. And then take this money and start building up a reserve. And I was like, how did you do this? And he's great. He's not a he's he's not a stock investor. He doesn't do mortgage refis. He he essentially sits down and he gets your life insurance guy to talk to your stock guy to talk to your mortgage guy to talk to and, and he's got people. If you don't have people, he's got people who can help you do this stuff. Uh, and it it has really, if you need someone to help you with learning a budget, you don't want to go through the whole financial peace university stuff. You want someone local to help you. Chris is your guy. Uh, Dynamic Money is the company, dynamicmoney.com. Y'all, I'm telling you, for your peace of mind, for building a savings reserve, for building an emergency fund, for getting yourself out of debt, uh, they can do it. They have done it for me and my wife. I am living proof of this. It has given us some peace of mind. I had a big credit card bill this month um, for some uh, expenses, and I just I put them on my credit card. And I, You know what? I didn't worry about it. I, I put them on there and then immediately pulled money out of a savings account that he helped us set up to be able to pay off the credit card. And it just, it it was great um, to to be able to have that peace of mind, to be able to pay off credit card debt and then keep it off and build up a reserve fund. So if I had to use a credit card, I know I've got the money in an account to be able to pay the credit card. Y'all, these are life skills some of you have, a lot of you don't. Um, I I don't, and he has helped me learn them. Dynamicmoney.com, and here's the kicker. They are 100% fee-based, so they're not going to try to sell you something on commission. Everything they advise you is 100% for your benefit. Uh, you're not going to get sold annuities from them. You're not going to get sold life insurance from them. Everything they do 
is it's fee-based. Um, there are no commissions, no product sales, nothing like that. They just want to do what's right for you. And every person is unique and every plan is unique. So dynamicmoney.com. And thank you to them, sponsor of the show, and for getting us out of debt. Uh, now, we got other stuff to talk about here, uh, including the Confederate monuments and what to do with them. I, I want to tell you something. Is So where I live in Macon, Georgia, there is a Confederate monument downtown. It, it's actually a... a Man, it's going to get me in trouble for saying this, but in terms of statues and displays, it's actually there's a a a little triangle in downtown Macon where this Confederate statue is, and it's actually a very pretty historic monument. It's a Confederate soldier, of course. He's facing north, and it's been there forever. I mean, I've been in Macon since '93 when I went to Mercer, and this thing has always been there. And now, of course, we're in this movement to tear down the Confederate statues. Not my hill to die on. I've got friends, though, who point out, look, now they're tearing down Grant. They're tearing down statues of saints. They're tearing down statues of Teddy Roosevelt. At some point, where do you draw the line? So I understand why some of you say don't tear any of them down. I totally get that. I see what's happening. I get it. Uh, You only slide down the slope if you want to slide. And by God, are we sliding? In Macon, what protesters have done, though, if anyone is listing in Macon or in any other part of the state where there's a Confederate monument right now, let me tell you what they've done in Macon. And I actually expected to see all sorts of vandalism and stuff. I like what they did. Some group of people came in and they erected um, plywood walls around the statue. You can see the statue. The, the The whole statue of the soldier is above the walls. You can't get to the. You can't see the inscription on the monument. That's covered up by the barricade. And then they've painted scenes and faces and people. George Floyd, Michael Ferguson, and other faces. They've written Black Lives Matter. And so you can't actually. They haven't torn down the statue. But the statue is now surrounded on all sides with modern faces and modern voices. And I think in and of itself, I I, I actually like the way they've done that. I mean, I, I, I really actually do like the way that they've done it. You You have the Confederate memorial. It's not torn down. But you can't actually see the inscription dedicated to honor the Confederate, which you see instead are multicultural, multiracial, diverse faces of murals. They should make that permanent. Not only should they make it permanent, leave it like that, but they should update it. It should be an ever-evolving mural. It should be ever-evolving, ever-updating. Local, you could maybe do it for a year. Have a have a corporate sponsor, have a have a nonprofit sponsor, and every year an updated memorial that reflects modern understanding of of race and culture in America. So you can see the Confederate soldier, but you can't get to him anymore. You can see him, but you can't see the inscription honoring him. What you see instead of the inscription honoring him is this. I actually thought it was very well done, and I don't think they intentionally did it that way. But in practice, that's the way it worked out. So they haven't torn down history, but they've built history and around, around it in a way that shows progress and prevents you from going to that history. And I, whoever did that, um, they they deserve a pat on the back for that. I, I, the protesters did that. The, the, there was originally vandalism, and then they set up the barriers around it. 
And I just, I, I, I went down there thinking, man, I'm going to see just defaced statues and stuff. No, the, the, the graffiti had been cleared up and these barriers around it. They renamed the little plaza. Someone had spray painted on signs, Black Lives Matters Plaza, which I don't think you can keep that name there, but the barrier around it, keep it. I thought it was very thoughtful in how they did it. Um, the thing that I'm opposed to is tearing down the statues, destroying the statues. Don't don't destroy the history. That's what the Taliban did. That's what the terrorists do. That's what the French revolutionaries did. Don't do that. Move them somewhere or do what they did in Macon. Put up something around them so when you try to see the soldier, you're forced to confront something else. I, 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 you're, you're going to face a backlash. There's interesting YouGov. YouGov is a, is a very good pollster. YouGov has a poll out today. 57% of Americans, including 56% of black Americans, are fine with you using the phrase, all lives matter, and they believe it to be true. And if you hear the conversations out there right now, the conversations are that you've got to say black lives matter. And I don't have a problem. If you've listened to this program, I don't have a problem with you saying Black Lives Matter. I, I I don't. I understand why. But also, I think it's worth saying all lives do matter. And I think this mural around this monument in Macon could be uh, repurposed and, and painted to show all lives that matter. White and black and Hispanic and Asian scenes from where we are, where we've come. I think things like that can be done and done tastefully. I I, I really do think so. I, I really do think that we should consider consider something like this. Now, I want to move on because believe it or not, uh, there's a conspiracy theory afoot over fireworks. Uh, the the one of the New York Times, one of the loud voices of the New York Times. Uh, I forget her name now. Uh, she's one of the sixteen nineteen people. It retweeted seriously, as if you should look at it, someone's Twitter thread about how firework displays are out of control and being used as a government effort to push black people out of their neighborhoods in New York. Let me ask you a question. In two weeks, is it not Independence Day? This is a new phenomenon in New York. It's only just started. People buying fireworks and shooting them in the streets. And and this happens, by the way, every year. It's happening here. I've been hearing fireworks at night here in Macon. In fact, I got some fireworks. I haven't shot them, but I got them. And suddenly now, this, this New York Times writer who wins a Pulitzer is helping perpetuate this theory that uh, the government is using these fireworks, firing them in the street, to try to drive pe- black people out of their neighborhoods. Th- think about that, that this is somehow a government conspiracy. This is a, a person who won a Pulitzer Prize arguing this. And yet some people are taking this seriously. Some people are actually pushing this. Can you imagine if the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, were to push a conspiracy that people were lighting up fireworks to drive people from their home, what would the media do? What would their reaction do? And yet you've got a Pulitzer Prize winner 
The woman who reinvented American history as the 1619 Project lied the whole way through it, misrepresented everything about American history, won the Pulitzer for doing so, even though there are copious uh, corrections. Multiple famous winning historians came out and said, this is all wrong. Nope, nope, nope. Had to do it. Had to claim race was a big deal. Had to make it all about slavery. Rewrote American history to justify her claims. And now coming out, pushing this conspiracy theory, and the media is quiet. I mean, this is a person of note. This is a person who wants to reshape how we think about American history and turn it into a curricular program, curriculum for American public schools and private schools. And the media is completely quiet on the issue. Think about that. Because it's all about the agenda. It's not about the truth. It's never been about the truth. It's always about the agenda. And that's, that's part of the problem here. This is part of the problem that I have here with so much of the media these days is the media is all about uh, the agenda. It, the media is all about pushing stories, not pushing truth, but pushing stories, pushing narratives. And they want to ignore this. If a Republican did this, you would have media field day. But because this person did this, the media is going to give it a pass. The double standards are, I mean, the double standards are, are kind of crazy these days on what the media is willing to do and not do. Meanwhile, the virus is back. And now suddenly the media is making a big deal about the virus again. It does turn out, let, let me let me just level with you. Let me, let me put it straight with you. It does turn out that the, um, that the virus is resurgent. It is most definitely resurgent in areas where people are going inside in warm areas. So the south, the southwest and the south and the southeast are seeing a big spike. It does not appear that the protesters really did spread the virus. What it appears is young people going out and about, going into restaurants and bars, are getting the virus and spreading it. Now, the upside of this is that those young people actually are not getting hospitalized. They're not dying. So the rate of hospitalization and deaths continues to go down even as the number of people with the virus is continuing to go back up. If you look at the seven-day moving average in Georgia, again, if you text the word DATA to 33777, you can see the seven-day moving average in Georgia. Text DATA to 33777. I'll send you immediately back a text. You'll also get a link to Al Mohler's book. I interviewed him the other day. It's still in there. I haven't taken it out. But uh, you will see, you will see the the chart, and it is it is up. Uh, we are headed up in Georgia. The number of daily counts. I said at the beginning of the show today, I went to Barrow. Uh, the, if you've never been, y'all, I don't care where you live in the state of Georgia right now, where you hear my voice. If you're in Savannah, you're in Brunswick, you're in Lake Oconee, you're, you're up in Clarksville, Clayton, Rome, Dalton, Jasper, Athens, Atlanta, you name it. It is worth going to Barrow Automotive. I, I took a friend there on Saturday, and he was just, the look on his face was priceless. You walk into this hardware store in Butler, Georgia, and it is a hardware store with fishing gear, Yeti coolers, car parts, and then you turn the corner at the back of the store to the right, and it is the most impressive gun store you will ever see. It is awesome. They have great prices and a great collection. It is so awesome to go. And we went in there and they were slammed. And and I talked to one of the employees who said, it's been like this since the protest started. It has just been slammed with people buying guns. 
and it's just, I mean, it, it really is. It, it's, it's, it was, there's so many people and we were the only people wearing masks. And that's kind of a problem because the virus is spreading. And if you would just wear a mask, you would help cut the spread. But young people and, and the, the My Liberty people, they're, they're not wearing masks. And so they're spreading the virus. They, they may be asymptomatic or they may be pre-symptomatic and they're spreading the virus and the numbers are going back up in the south at a time that it should be going down. And it's not the people outside in the heat who are spreading the virus. It's people going inside in the air conditioning who are spreading the virus. And thankfully, it is younger people, so hospitals aren't getting overwhelmed. ICU units aren't getting overwhelmed. But if they start spreading it back to older people, we're going to have problems. This thing isn't going away, but it could go away if people just wore masks, believe it or not. Wear a mask. It actually helps. It actually does help. And people aren't doing that. And... That's going to cause us problems. Uh, and if they're, the Trump administration is already now planning for a full-scale rebound later this year because people aren't doing what they need to do to keep it from spreading. And that's just going to keep hurting us economically. Eric Erickson waits through the fake news to give you the real news. It's honest news and conservative views. Y'all, uh, this, this Teddy Roosevelt statue, it, it, the... New York uh, Natural History Museum. It's it's. You, I guess we can't watch. What is it? Night of the Museum. I guess we're not going to be able to watch that movie anymore because uh, you, you've got uh, well, Robin Williams is Teddy Roosevelt from that statue. So the the statue of Teddy Roosevelt has a an American Indian on one side and a black man on the other side of Teddy Roosevelt. It is apparently a symbol of colonialism, and they've decided to take it down. And some members of the Roosevelt family are fine with it. Sorry, had to sneeze. At least I muted my microphone. I'm a professional. I, I just, this, when you're tearing down, you, let's see, there was a saint. Okay, I forget the name of the saint. Forgive me. But there was a statue in San Francisco. They tore down a statue of George Washington. They tore down a statue of, uh, a statue of Ulysses S. Grant. And they've torn down a statue now of a saint who was sainted in part because during his life, he protected Native American populations from the Spanish. And they tore down his statue. These people have lost their, they just want to tear down. This is a temper tantrum. It is an unrestrained temper tantrum. I, I got to tell you, I, I was, I am really upset at the story in Axios. And by the way, Jonathan Swan is a good reporter at Axios. He has great, great sources, including the president of the United States who himself acknowledges the president did not do, did not aggressively push China on its concentration camps because he wanted a straight deal. Everyone should be horrified that the president, with the last great communist regime on the planet that is known to run concentration camps, let it slide. That should make you mad. And it's just about enough to want me just to stay home on election day that when the president of the United States turns his bl turns a blind eye to concentration camps, that, that, that should make you all mad. But then I read stories like this where they're going to tear down statues of George Washington, of Ulysses S. Grant, of Teddy Roosevelt, of saints who protected people from persecution. And these people can't be trusted with power. I, I got to go vote for Trump in November to keep these people from having power. And I don't even like the guy. And I got to go vote for him. 
which is just a, a, a crummy position to have to be in where I don't really like the guy. I, I, most of his policies that I like, we got in spite of him, not because of him. Can't really use the Supreme Court as, as a as a rah-rah tool for the president these days. He tried the other night at his rally and got booed. But you see the left coming for these statues and great googly moogly people. I mean, what's what's next? And, and did you see the Washington Post ran a story, a hit job on a woman, cost her her job, a private citizen no one had ever heard of who showed up at a party, party two years ago in blackface with a name tag, Megyn Kelly. It was designed after the Megyn Kelly fiasco on the Today Show. Uh, people at the, at the party explained to the woman why it was in bad form. She apologized. She left. Two years later, a professional grievance monger demanded that the Washington Post write a story about this woman or else the woman would say that this party happened and it happened to have happened at a car Washington Post cartoonist's house. And she was either going to destroy the Washington Post or the Washington Post was going to have to destroy this private citizen. They're coming after private citizens now. The New York Times says this story about how kids in high schools are using social media to destroy the lives of their fellow students who they say are racist or race conscious in some way or not woke enough. And remember that there used to be online bullying used to be bad, but now as long as the bullies are woke, it's okay. How many teen suicides are we going to have to have before they start? I, I bet you we could have an unlimited number of teen suicides and the media won't say a word. They're scared of the woke mob. I mean, you're almost compelled to vote for Donald Trump and keep him in power because these people can't be trusted with power. You see what they're doing in the streets, tearing down monuments going after private citizens who they disagree with. You can see where this heads and it doesn't head anywhere good, which is unfortunate because I just, I'm ready to just wash my hands of all of it and say, I'm a pox on both your houses. The The Republicans are incompetent and won't stand up. They, they the, the Democrats are malicious and highly competent, can't be trusted with power. I'm just, I'm fed up with all of it. I'm disgusted by all of it. And the fact that you've got all these these people in the media who value free speech are perfectly happy with the mob shutting everybody up.